around it. We have been seeing that. Um, people coming together for a common dream to rebuild the city of God, defending one another against the enemies that are coming at them, literally having their backs. They protected one another, protected one another's families while they dreamt of a better future. And God's people are coming back from Babylon, and they have forgotten who they were as a people of God. They have forgotten their values and their ways. They have forgotten the law of God that they forgot that they were supposed to be set apart as a nation, holy. And so last week, Dom talked about how the Israelites began to implement the laws of God, right? Ezra came with a book and started reading the law to them, probably some from First and Second Chronicles, where some of the very specific things of the law are laid out. And they realized, if I had just done it God's way, we would be flourishing. And yet again and again throughout history, we turned away and we did our own thing. Or we said, oh, that nation looks like they are doing great. It looks like they've got a lot of power. Or it looks like this nation has a lot easier. Let's do it that way. And then th what they thought was going to lead to blessing and power and wealth actually led to their captivity. And so now they were like, we want to renew a covenant with you, God. We want to recommit in our relationship with you and do it your way. And so they set a new covenant, and Dom was saying they are recommitting step by step God's way to find their way back to real freedom. And what we see is that in the Old Testament, God set out an infrastructure plan. And now as they reset, they're following that plan step by step. Now, before we move forward, I love, I just want to say, I love that they get to reset, right? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it beautiful that our failures and our circumstances don't have the final say? That we get to reset and start over, not just like every hundred years, but like today, you know, like, or tomorrow, right? Like if we're just doing some things or we're like, man, I just stunk as a mom yesterday, you know, or I was just a... I was just not very kind to my coworkers, or, you know, like I just kind of lazed around and I didn't do the things that I longed to do. You get to reset, right? Like, and we see a whole nation of people getting to reset and a God that says, yeah, let's do it together. He doesn't say, listen, you've had enough ch chances. We're not doing this again. But he says, come to me. Let's reset and restart. Now, the Israelites were called to be stewards of this city of God and the surrounding area of Judah. The land and the wall were important, but it is the workings of jobs and people and laws that define a nation, right? Even in the United States, we're like, okay, yeah, geographically, this is the United States. But if we didn't have our laws, if we didn't have our values, if we didn't have the ways that we did life, if we didn't have and celebrate the freedoms that makes up this nation, we, wouldn't, we would just be land, you know, like we wouldn't be the United States, right? And so with the Israelites, yes, they are on the land. They have created a wall, but that is soulless without the word of God and the law of God and his ways and his values. And so they are trying to figure out, and the question here is, Oh, sorry. The main question here in these last couple of chapters is, what does it take to run and function as the city of God? They've come here, they've built the wall, but now what? How do they function and run as the city of God? Not as the city of men, not as a city that amasses the most wealth or the most power, but the city of God, right? 
So we are going to cover chapters 11 and 12 today, um, but don't worry, we will not be here until the sun sets, which is actually not too far away from now. Um, <laughs> but we're going to go ahead and look at chapter 11, verse 1. And so read with me. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem, but in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and of the sons of Benjamin. Of the sons of Judah, Athiah, the son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Shephathiah, son of Mahalalel, of the sons of Perez. And Maseiah, the son of Baruch, son of Colhose, son of Haziah, some, son of Adiah, son of Joarib, son of Zechariah, son of the Shalonite. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. I, I need a drink of water after that. Whew. We see the rebuilding of the city starts with a wall, but then who resides in the city is even more important, right? Because as you can see, it isn't a desired place to live. They had to cast lots to figure out who's going to live in Jerusalem, right? Who are going to be the one out of ten who live there? Because Jerusalem was a mess. It was a mess. There was rubble everywhere. There had been years of abandonment, right? And even though the wall was now built as protection, it was still a focus of attack from the neighbors and the enemies nearby. People had to completely rebuild the city. Commerce, schools, infrastructure. And I would imagine, too, that after captivity in Babylon, where nothing was yours, that you would want to come into freedom and have your own land and be able to choose for yourself what animals to raise or what to grow, right? That is the privilege of freedom. When you live in the city instead of your own land and having all those choices, you are building something that is not your own. You're building and working towards the greater good. You're risking your life to keep the city of God safe. And so the leaders lived in Jerusalem because how can we call anyone to sacrifice their own comfort and their own rights if the leaders aren't doing it themselves? But also one out of ten were chosen to live in the holy city. And there were also people who volunteered and said, I will go and live in Jerusalem. Now most of chapter 11 and 12 is a national register of where every family lived and what the role in the city of God was. So again, a lot of this is linked to their history. You don't just get to choose what your role was um, and what your job was going to be, right? Like, you don't get to choose it like a major in college. You were a singer, a gatekeeper, a priest, because you were in that clan, in that family line, in the genealogy that you came from, right? So if your family were priests, you were going to be a priest too, right? And that was the understanding, and that was something that they understood. Now, whenever I see these lists of names upon names, I don't know about you, if you're flipping through scripture, you'll see like, oh, wow, two chapters of names, you know, like of a lineage. This is the sons of da, 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 and this guy begat this, you know, whatever. I generally do a quick scan and scroll down, 
right? Got it, got it, got it, got it. Bunch of names I can't pronounce. But these are individuals linked in history to the present, and they each had a role in the city of God. And there are many in between that weren't even named, right? It says, and all the sons of Perez, there were 468 valiant men. Their names aren't individually listed out, right? But even then, you see a whole chapter of names. And I love that, you know, every person had a specific role to the flourishing of the community. And it was important enough that they were recorded again and again. And I like what Derek Hidner said in the Ezra Nehemiah commentary. It is not bureaucratic pedantry that has preserved these names. The point is, once more, that these people and their chronicler are conscious of their roots and of their structure as God's company. This is no rabble of refugees settling down anywhere. They have the dignity of order and of known relationships, above all, of their calling to be the kingdom of priests and a holy order. Right? They understood that there was a system that they were in, and it determined where they were to live, it determined what their role was supposed to be, and it determined in order to which God's kingdom was to function well and flourish. Right? We see the diversity of roles. And I just want to talk a little bit br just briefly about the Levites. Right, Because so, we know that one of the clans, they were Levites. The Levites were the ones who had the job of knowing God's law and word. They had the role of teaching it, preserving it, and holding God's people to the truth and interpretation of the word. But as we're, as we're reflecting on it, like I said, they have been in exile in Babylon, where there is no temple to run, there is no scripture being read, there's no people to teach. Can you imagine the line of Levites sitting in Babylon, trying to figure out how are we supposed to pass on this legacy, this word, this, this whole role that we're supposed to function in to our sons and, and their sons, right? When we are in captivity, when we are far away, when that doesn't feel relevant at all to anything that we are doing. How do we continue the line of being faithful to God's word? And I would imagine that you know, as a Levite father, knowing that it is your responsibility to train your children to be Levites, even though you are in, in Babylon, that there would be times where you would feel like your role is obsolete, right? Where, where you might be passing this on, but for what purpose? Is there ever going to be a time and a place where they would actually be able to use this information, right? What do you pass on to your children when the city of God is a dream, when you tell stories, oh yeah, your grandpa served in the temple and this is what he did. And one day, maybe, we pray that you would be able to function in those places where he did. And if they were to ask, well, where is the temple? Why aren't we in Jerusalem? The grief and the hopelessness that might come with that, right? And I just wonder what they had to hold in their hearts, the hope that there will one day again be a temple. One day there would be a city of God where they would have a role and a people to hold them to the word of God and to raise them up and to infuse life and flourishing into them. What must have they believed? And when I think about that, I think about Hebrews 11, 
right? Like the Hebrews 11 where it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, but the conviction of things not seen, right? And it lists all these people in the Old Testament who did things even though they were like, I have no idea what is going to happen. God just told me to do it. I have no idea where I'm going, but God just told me to go, and I'm just going to hope that it's good, you know, right? It says, for Abraham, by faith, obeyed when he was called to go to a place where he was to receive that as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Right? That faith, that faith like propels them to continue to act, to continue to move, because they want to believe that God's word is true. Right? And now Nehemiah and his people get to experience the city of God that does have foundations, that was designed and built by God, right? And I just wonder, like, as the Levites are coming back, you know, they'd be like, we were born in Babylon. We only heard stories about this place. We have no idea what it actually looks like for us to lead in this place, but I'm just going to use everything that my grandfather passed on to me and we're going to rebuild this together. We're going to figure it out together, right? The Levites have not been practicing this for years and years. They're just coming back like everybody else, right? Can you imagine every person having the role where, like, we're supposed to be singers, guys? What are the songs? Let's look for the songs that we're supposed to be singing. How do we dedicate the wall? Let's look for the songs, right? Everybody here is trying to figure out how do we lean into the faith into the city of God that is being rebuilt, and how do we become the first people to rebuild it? Not really knowing what we're doing, not having history upon history, and, and we haven't been on job training here for like the last 20 years, right? Like we haven't been seeing this happen. We get to kind of figure it out as we go. And what kind of faith do they need to have to be able to do that, right? So anyway, we see the diversity of roles right? Both in the backdrop, in the background of the people that are making things happen, and also in the forefront, like the Levites and the singers. All are needed and important. And whether or not they're named or grouped in their clan, no one is exempt from ministry. Everyone has a role, right? Ministry is just the work of God that we're called to. Whether or not we're volunteers or we're staff or we're lay people, we see here that everyone is called to ministry, because in the kingdom of God, in the city of God, his infrastructure plan is not run by robots, right? Like, it's run by people, right? Like, there is no abandoning of widows or orphans or the poor and sick because people come together to care for them, right? There are places where prisoners are restored into community to be able to start over again because they are met and cared for by communities of people. Every one of these things are supported and carried out by people, by communities of people. And in the city of God, they all have a place, and they're all important, right? We talk so much as a city about infrastructure to make sure that there's flourishing in the city for everyone. And here we see a plan where that is happening, right? Or where God has all the ways to make sure that that happens. The laws of God are carried out and obeyed by people. But can you imagine if one out of 10 decided to be in ministry 
And then they were like, listen, I'm opting out, okay? It's hard, it's complicated, people are messy. <laughs> so I'm just gonna do something else. <laughs> um, and I don't, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna be in ministry. I don't want the role, right? Like, I don't wanna be a singer, dude. Like, I don't wanna be a Levite. I don't feel like I'm gifted for that, right? What if people just opted out because they were like, I don't wanna do it, or I don't feel like I have the capacity to do it. What would happen to God's plan and God's city, right? No one is exempt from ministry where we see here. It only works if all hands are on deck, right? Now for us, what if we all saw ourselves as people who are called to ministry in the church and out of the church? What if, what if that was true for every single person who called themselves a Christ follower? We're all, we're all going to do this. The church is going to flourish. The city is going to flourish. The, the big C church is going to flourish because we are all in ministry. I wonder what it would look like. Now, the, the beauty of them moving forward in faith is that they aren't doing it alone, right? Like I said, earlier in Nehemiah, we see that they have been building the wall together in community, right? And we see a common unity, even though these people were very different in ways, right? They were from different clans. They didn't have a lot of overlap other than the fact that they were all exiled in Babylon. I'm sorry, I'm messing with this. Um, But they came together in common unity because of a crisis. They were like, listen, we need to do this because enemies are attacking and we need to build this wall. There's this imagery of them, one hand with a trowel putting up the wall and the other hand with swords fighting the enemies. And everybody's doing it. And they're like, hey, you know, like three o'clock, there's more enemies coming. And a bunch of them rush over there and they're like, we got you, we got you. And there's a, like a little battle happening there. And they're like, oh, okay, like I'm gonna stay up so that I'll be on guard while you and your family sleep. And then in the morning, they're like, hey, 8 o'clock, there's another like enemy coming. And they all move over to 8 o'clock, right? Like, can you imagine that they were in the trenches together in unity because they had to be. They were like, we can't do this if we're not all in this together. We can't do this if we're not protecting each other's families. We can't do this if we're not fighting off enemies and building the wall as quickly as possible, right? It's not about skill. It's not about whether or not you and I had a disagreement about how that chicken was cooked last night. We all need to do this together, right? But now there wasn't a crisis. The wall was up. Now they had to figure out, are we gonna be a community together for the long run? When there isn't a crisis, when I'm on my own land growing wheat and you are in the city as a singer, right? Like, are we still going to be in this together in unity? Because even though it worked when we were in crisis, it is a lot harder to live that way in reality for a long period of time. And so in verse, in verse 27 in chapter 12, they dedicate the wall and they dedicate themselves. Okay, I'm skipping over some of those Hebrew names. You can read them in your own time and praise God for them. All right, verse 27. 
And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places and to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of Nedophathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and, men, the women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. They were dedicating the city and land to God. They were dedicating themselves as a nation to God, saying, we're going to do this together. We're not just going to send the Levites and the priests to dedicate the wall. We're all going to do this together. So there was a nationwide procession going to the north and to the south, all surrounding the wall to make sure that they were dedicating all of themselves and all of this land and the nation to God. The centrality of worship in their parade of dedication is in being set apart as a holy nation, right? It is laid out specifically in sacrifice. Sacrifice to live where God wants them to live. Sacrifice to work in the role that God calls them to work in. Sacrifice to send your sons as valiant men to protect the city instead of working on the family farm. Sacrifice to do it together and trust one another instead of doing it your own way. It is the sacrifice of our own way and our own flourishing when you choose to be holy. And the result of sacrifice, you would think, is deep sighs, long faces, like doubled over in pain in, the, in, in just the personal um, death of my own will, right? Oh, sacrifice. There's a beauty in sacrifice, but it's so painful and so hard. And actually, what we see here is they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. Everybody rejoiced. And guess what? The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. It doesn't say the songs of Jerusalem was far, heard far away. The symbols of Jerusalem were heard from far away. It was the joy of Jerusalem that was heard far away. I don't know about you, but man, I hope that people hear my joy from far away. I hope that this church, right, like in all that we do, all that we long for as we pursue the heart of God, that people would hear the joy of our church from far away, that more than anything else, they wouldn't get oh, well, this is how they do it, this is what they sacrifice, this is what they tithe, you know, these are the people that go there, that the, the overarching testimony of this place and of our lives would be joy. Man, they got something, right? The city on the hill, they are doing things in a way I don't understand. It's honestly quite foolish to me, but they've got something there. And I see the glory of God there, and I see joy. It confounds me, but I want to know more about this God, right? I think that that's what every single one of us long for, 
they don't want us to, they don't want to like see long faces and deep sighs, right? They're like, oh, sacrifice is hard. But they were like, man, I want to see that it's good to follow God. I want to see that it's worth it to follow Jesus. And that's, it, it's different. And it's set apart and it, it, it's fruitful, right? I long for that for us. I long for that for me. I love G.K. Chesterton when he says this, the Christian ideal has not been found tried and found wanting. Or the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. It doesn't make sense. Our whole world around us is saying, don't do it that way, that's stupid. Right? Take care of yourself. You want to flourish? Then take care of yourself. Build a legacy. Amass as much wealth as possible. Take care of yourself. Right? Don't waste your time. In community, it's a mess. And yet, I think the reason why we are not always experiencing the flourishing that God has for us is because we're like, it's too hard. <laughs> I don't want to try it. It's impossible. Right? And yet, I believe that there is joy to be had. There's joy to be had, right? We have been inviting every one of us into Nehemiah Challenge at the end of every single teaching on Sunday. It is a way for us to not just hear and learn about the history of, you know, in the Bible and, and just get something out of Scripture, but that we would do something about it. And that's where we grow, right? It is the application of the word where we grow. And so hopefully you have been doing that and that you've been sharing that with one another. Um, but this morning, I want to invite us into the Nehemiah challenge of choosing, right? Will you choose to be an essential part of welcoming others in the city or kingdom of God? We talk about a physical city of God here, but really Jesus comes and he says, Listen, it's not just the city of God. I'm expanding it to be the kingdom of God. And it goes beyond Jerusalem and Judea, and it goes into the hearts of every man and woman who chooses to follow me. The kingdom of God shows up wherever there's communities of followers who come and worship and, and glorify me. Those are the kingdoms of God. And here's the funny thing, right? They each had a role. They all didn't really know what they were doing. And they... They could have come in and been like, where's the welcome wagon? Who's going to welcome me and introduce me to all the people? And yet everybody was like, we just got here three months ago. We don't, we don't know how things are supposed to function. Or somebody's like, I literally got here yesterday. Like the welcome wagon is me because I got here one day before you. You know? And as we're in this very interesting time, almost post-pandemic, not quite, um, is that there's a lot of new people here, right? And maybe for you, you're like, I don't know how this church runs. I, I am a visitor here. I barely know like where the bathroom is here in this church. And yet, we're in this funny place where this church is new for all of us. Even if you've been coming to church for a while, and, and when we come in, whether or not you've been here for a while or you're newer, you're like, there's new people around me, right? I don't know everybody here. And that's part of why we have name tags, but even more than that, that's why we're each called to welcome one another, to feel welcome in this place, right? 
It is not the role of the one out of 10 to do that. We are all invited to be welcoming in this community and to welcome one another in this community. And so will you be, choose to be an essential part in welcoming others in the city and kingdom of God here at this church? The challenge is very practical. We would love for every single person to sign up to greet in the morning on Sundays. We have two slots for every Sunday. I have until the mid-January. And here's what it would look like. You would come 10 to 15 minutes early. We'd say, hey, can you set out the name tags? And just welcome people in this space and meet one another. If you have questions on where the bathroom is, I'll tell you. You know, but really the, the invitation is that we would all welcome one another in this space. So will you choose into that? And if you are online and you're like, I'm not going to be able to like physically be there to greet, there are absolutely other ways to be hospitable on Zoom. And so if you would like to do that, would you send an email to Joel and say, yes, I will be willing to choose to welcome the city of God in our Sunday mornings. Okay, so those sign-up sheets are going to be in the back. I hope you guys all choose to engage in that way. And if there's an, a different way where you're like, I can't do that. I'm not usually here on Sunday mornings, but I would love to do that in another way. But help me brainstorm what that looks like. Please join me in that. Anyway, let me just go ahead and pray for us. God, we thank you for the picture of the city of God that we aren't like Abraham where we just long and hope for this place that we um, have faith will eventually happen, but have never seen, have never seen a church, a temple, or a group of people coming together to raise their voice in song and worship of you. We know that. That, that, feels, that feels normal to us, right? To be at a church where that is happening, to see churches where that is happening. But God, I pray that you would help us to step in and make it our own, to see that this is our place and none of us are exempt from leading and, and being, a, being um, in ministry here. And so God, would you show us what it looks like to sacrifice in joy? God, we pray for that joy. We pray for the testimony of joy from our lives and from our church and from the big C church in the God, I pray that they would see the joy and be compelled and wooed by it. We pray this in your name. Amen.